At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Many of us often wonder if going to church is worth it. But what if we told you God has a beautiful design for the church that very much includes you? The book of 1 Timothy speaks to these truths. And if each of us submits to them, our church will function as the loving family God intends. Join us this week as we look at the answers to the question, Church, why bother? All right, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take that out and turn with me to the book of 1 Timothy. The book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 1. You know, as we look around our world today, it seems as though our culture has really tried to speak into what it seems, what, what we would declare or define as a good leader. Right? The world wants to give us those definitions of, of what it means to be a good leader or who is a good leader and what it, does a good leader do. And it seems like today in our world, good leaders are people like politicians. Good leaders are people like actors or actresses or athletes, or social media influencers, or personalities. And what's interesting about the way that we identify these good leaders, or these leaders that are, that are determining in our lives what we do and what we think about ourselves, it's interesting to me that what makes a good leader these days are not necessarily who the person is, but we focus on good leaders more as what the person does. Right, so it's not, not based on their character, but it's based more on their performance. For example, most, most people don't care um, about championship-winning quarterbacks. We, we don't care necessarily, and we'll be honest, the majority of people, some do. But if it were to come out that a, a championship-winning quarterback was abusive to his wife, the majority of the world wouldn't care. Or if this championship-winning quarterback was doing steroids, or was an alcoholic, or was abusive to his children, the majority of the world wouldn't care. As long as that quarterback continues to throw the long ball, continues to score touchdowns, and continues to win games, no one would care. It's almost as though the personal life of that, that athlete that we've elevated to be someone that, or something that we should aspire to it's all based on performance. Or maybe no one really cares about the politician that maybe is involved in extramarital affairs. Probably don't care if that politician's facing bankruptcy or if that politician's a deadbeat parent or if the politician is terribly rude or even hypocritical. It, it doesn't really matter as long as that politician votes the way that you think that they should vote or has the same ideology that you do. That, that's a good leader. It doesn't matter what their personal life is like. It doesn't matter who people are, mostly in our culture, but it's most based on what they can do. And this morning as we come to our text, I want us to see that that may be the way that the world operates, but that isn't the way the church is supposed to. 
When we stand before God, God, God doesn't care about our performance. He cares about who we are as people. He cares about what in whom we believe. That He cares about the inside of our lives. I was reading an author not too long ago. was talking about the, the two sides of our lives. There's the front stage life. That's the, 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 the front of the stage that everyone gets to see. That's the, the outside of us. That's who we present ourselves to be to the world. Right? And oftentimes that's really based on performance. We want to make sure that we look good and that everything, uh, we put up a good appearance of being a good person. But then this author was talking about the backstage of our life. That, that's the part of our lives that no one sees. Maybe our family sees it. But those are the things that we feel, the, the things that we desire, and that's all the stuff that's behind the scenes. And this author was talking about these two stages of our lives that a lot of times what happens is if those are in contradiction to each other. In reality, God calls us to have the front stage and the backstage to be exactly the same. There should be nothing that we hide. We just are who we are in private and we are who we are in public. But he says that we see great people fall when the backstage, when the curtain gets opened up and people get access or sight into the backstage and they see who we really are. See, this is the type of ideas that God has for us as followers of Christ. He wants our front stage and our backstage to be exactly the same. He cares about us as people. And today as we're continuing our series entitled Church Why Bother, we've been walking through the book of 1 Timothy. And this, this book was written by the Apostle Paul to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. His name was Timothy. He was a young pastor, starting out at his first pastorate. And Paul is, is an apostle, so he has been charged by God to help establish this new community of faith, this new thing called the church. And so he's writing to Timothy to give him instructions about how, what the church is supposed to look like, how it's supposed to be ordered, and how it's supposed to be cared for. And this morning, as we look at this passage, Paul is addressing the issues of qualifications of those who are called to lead in the church. We're going to see here not everyone that attends the church or comes to the church is qualified to lead the church. But Paul is giving us some clear qualifications of what it means to lead the church. And what we're going to see in this passage today is the church is to be cared for by qualified, faithful leaders. Their church is called to be cared for by qualified and faithful leaders. So we see here that what we're going to see here is that there are biblical prerequisites that there are needed for leaders, and they're based in two primary areas. Church leaders should have a character, right, a specific character, and they should have a proven record of faithfulness. Those are really the two things that look, God looks for. He looks for in leaders, he's looking for people of character, and he's looking for people of faithfulness. Now, as we look at the text today, we're going to see that Paul calls out. He's taking a look at the qualifications, but there are two general leadership positions in the church. There are two offices that we see Paul sets out, that God has set out for offices in the church. Today, we're going to look at the text, and we're going to see these two. The first of these offices is that of elder. Now, if we look in the Old Testament, we see that, or not the Old Testament, the New Testament, there are several words that um, 
almost all biblical scholars see as uh, defining or identifying this role of elder that mean the same thing. So you may come across a word like pastor, elder, overseer. If you read those words in the New Testament, those are all talking about the same office uh, of elder. And uh, we see that in other places. And so there are three different titles that mean the same thing. So elder, pastor, overseer. The second office of leadership is that of deacon or deaconess. And so today we're going to see the elder qualifications in verses 1 through 7. And then we're going to see the deacon, deaconess qualifications in verses 8 through 13. Now while we look at these, I want us to give us a little bit more about... um, giving us an idea of how these two offices differentiate a little bit, but also are designed by God to bless the church. You see, elders, their primary responsibility is to focus on the spiritual needs of the church. So they are the ones that are teaching, leading, praying, shepherding, helping care for people. They exercise leadership inside the church. It's the elders that walk with families through seasons of of church discipline and restoration. They're the ones that kind of seek God's direction and lead out the vision that God has for the church. And then we have elders, or deacons and deaconesses. Deaconesses care more about the practical needs of people. So they're going to be there when, when, um, when people are in need, uh, a financial need, a need of prayer, in need of, of hospital visitation, things like that. Those are, are the, more the primary roles of our deacons and deaconesses. And so if we were to have time, I would love to take you through Acts chapter 6, and I'd walk you through how we see those two roles operating. I don't have a whole lot of time to walk through that, but I'll give you just some insights. You see, as the church was growing in Acts, the church was taking off, and the church was growing by by the multitudes, and as the church was trying to care for his people, care for the people, one of the things that they did is they cared for the widows and orphans, and they daily distributed food to those that were in need. And what happened is there arose in in Acts chapter 6 a time where some of the widows and some of the orphans were being overlooked in the distribution of food. So what did they do? Well, the the people cried out to the leaders and the elders of of the church at the time were were carefully considered, we've got this problem, how are we going to fix it? And so this is what they said in Acts chapter 2. It said, it is not right that we, meaning the elders, should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who will be appointed to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we see that there arose need inside of the church. And the elders needed to maintain responsibility for caring for the oversight of the the church through prayer and the ministry of the word. It wasn't as though they were saying, hey, we're above waiting tables. We're above caring for people. No, they were just talking about understanding their responsibility to care for the people in in, in a larger scale way. And so to fix the problem of those being overlooked, they said, let's set aside uh, men to go care for them. And so they chose among themselves men that could care for the oversight of the distribution of food. So again, we see spiritual needs being cared for by the elders and practical needs being cared for by the deacons and deaconesses. So that's what it looked like in the Bible. How does it work here at Woodside? How does these roles of elder and deacon, deaconess show up here at our campus and here at Woodside? 
Well, quickly, I want to just kind of give you an overview of how this works at our church, is that each campus inside of Woodside has identified elders or set-aside elders. All the campus pastors are elders, but also each campus has designated other elders. So for us here at our campus, we have two elders uh, that are beside me. Uh, We have Dave Oslin and Jason Brown. And together we meet with our other elders from all the other campuses and we care for um, the vision of the church. We care for praying for the church. We take care of the spiritual needs for the church. We together guard the church from, from drifting doctrinally. We take a look at and talk about things like um, influences and the cultural influences and how they're impacting the church and how we need to care for that. So we have elders uh, that meet there and uh, care for the oversight of the church. But also here at our campus, we have deacons and deaconesses. Our deacons and deaconesses care for the benevolence. Uh, they care for, our deaconesses care for helping with baptisms. Our deaconesses help with setting up of the Lord's Supper. So that the table that was set up out there this morning when you came in was set up by a deaconess. Our deaconesses and deacons care for meals when people get out of the hospital or come uh, out of the hospital or someone has, has walked through the loss of a loved one. Uh, our deaconesses write letters um, to those that, um, that need prayer. Our deacons care for and walk alongside those that find themselves in other kinds of needs. And so we have a great team of deacons and deaconesses here. And I just want to list their names to you um, and know that both our deacons and our deaconesses and our elders, uh, besides the campus pastor, serve terms of three years. And so you serve for three years and then you have to sit out a year, a time of rest and a time of rejuvenating. And then you can, you can uh, be called upon again to serve in these roles. But let me give you the, our deacons and deaconesses. Our deacons are Nick Shoup, Steve Millette, Todd Karras, Paul Kurzak, Kevin Popke, and Jason Mobley. And if you know these guys, you know these are guys that you can go to. They're guys that have been part of our church for a long time that care for you and care for this church. And then we have a great, amazing group of deaconesses, Marty Meyer, Ellen Beck, Tracy Kurzak, Nancy Godfrey, Kathy Oslin, and Kristen Brown. And again, great group of godly women that love the Lord and know that they love you. I'm sure if you've gone through any time of being in the hospital or anything like that, you've gotten a call or a card from all of them. So I wanted to share that with you before we dive into the text, just so you kind of get an understanding of elders and deacons and deaconesses and how they work in the church. And so again, as we look into this text, the text, now we're going to look at the characteristics of what qualifies these faithful leaders. So let's dive into the text together. Let's begin in verse, we'll look at verses 1 through 3, and then we're going to jump on down to verse 8. So verses 1 through 3 are going to look at the elders, and then verses 8 and 9 um, in this passage, we're going to see refer to deacons. Verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be the husband of one wife, self-controlled, not a drunkard, not a lover of money. Now, I'm kind of skipping around in in the text because the way we're going to break these down is you're going to see the characteristics have kind of guidelines or or kind of bigger overarching ideas that that Paul is getting after. So that's to the elder. Now let's move on down to verse 8. 
And he says that the deacons are not to be addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. So what I think Paul is getting after as we look at some of these qualifications is that church leaders are to have control over their appetites. Church leaders are called to have control over their appetites. Paul begins and he says, this is a trustworthy saying. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he aspires to a noble task. You see, the aspirations of the Christian are not to seek world fame and fortune. The aspirations of the believer is not to grow up to be like Michael Jordan. The aspirations of the followers of Christ, these aspirations are aspirations of holiness, aspirations of maturity, aspirations of being more like Jesus. That that should be at our heart, at the core of our heart as a follower of Christ. We each should seek to aspire to be like Jesus. You know, there's this crazy trend that's happening in America today, and we talk about it much as campus pastors, is God is not calling us as pastors to be celebrity pastors, right? You you see these guys that that have, their personalities are larger than life, and, and people follow them based on their personality, and that's not what God's calling. Our, our aspirations are not fame and fortune and to be worshipped by people. Our aspirations are to be like Jesus. The true elder, the true pastor's heart is to say, I hope people don't see me, but I hope they see the God that I serve in me. That's the main job is to aspire so that I can be like Jesus, so that people will desire to be like Jesus. I don't want people to be like me. I have so many faults and so many failures. Please don't try to be like me. But be like Jesus because he's the one that's worthy. And so Paul now breaks down. He says these aspirations are good. But one of the areas that we as elders and deacons must exercise control. He gives us three areas in which we should seek to exercise control of our appetites. First is in the area of sexual appetite. Both are to be, both deacons and elders are to be the husbands of one wife. That means they are to be faithful in their marriage. That's what he's calling us to. Right? Both elders and both deacons and deaconesses are to be faithful in their marriage. If a person is running around chasing all of their appetites, getting a taste here and a taste there, and is promiscuous and unfaithful, and they're unable to control their sexual appetites, they are not fit to sit and have authority or influence over God's people. This is paramount, and it's so important, because we're chasing after appetites, any type of appetite, other than that of the Lord, then we run the risk of falling off the rails. And he goes on and gives us another appetite. Not only are we to have control over our sexual appetites, but leaders in the church are to have control over their appetite for drink. So they are not to be drunkards or not to be addicted to much wine. It's important to note that he's not forbidding the drinking of alcohol entirely, 
but rather don't drink in order to get drunk or be addicted to it as though you need to have it in order to survive and needed to walk through. And in reality, I, I would like to expand what Paul is talking about and talking about any, the appetite for anything that we put into our body that we need or that we have to have in order to, to cover um, our feelings or to overcome some other loss that we feel in our lives. I love the words of King Lemuel that he learned from his mother in Proverbs 31. This is, this is what he says. He says, it's not good for kings to drink wine or for rulers to taste strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Right? Those in spiritual leadership over God's people in the Old Testament, their kings were in that position. And King Lemuel's mom reminded him and says, hey, don't, don't drink like, don't drink a lot because when you drink, what happens is it clouds your ability to think. It clouds your ability to rule or to have authority in the right way because you'll forget the decrees. It makes you silly. It makes you lose your mind. So control over our appetite for sex. Control over our appetite for drink. And finally, we see that, that deacons, deaconesses, and leaders in the church are called to control their appetite for money. For in verse 3, elders, pastors, and overseers must not love money. Again, move on down. And he gives the same thing, to a similar thing in verse 8 to those that are deacons and deaconesses, saying that they must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Now what Paul is not saying here is that it's, it's not sinful for leaders in the church to have money. Right? God blesses people in other ways that we don't always understand. And if so someone has found the ability to, to, to own companies and to, to do well and to be financially set, that's not sinful. That doesn't disqualify someone from leading in the church. But when someone's heart is set out to find their significance in their money, when they love money more than they love God or they love money more than they love God's people, then they are unfit to serve. And so there's a way in which we can go about living our lives for dishonest gain, or there's a way in which we can go about living our lives to honor the Lord. See, followers of Christ that are, uh, have the ability and have the characteristics of following the church or leading the church are those that control their appetites. You guys have heard me say this before, but it, one of the things that leaders need to have in the church is the, the deeper understanding of these two truths. What God has given you is good, and what God has given you is enough. But if we take that over every area of our life, and we walk in that way, where we say, hey, what God has given me is good, and what God has given me is, is enough, that will help us. If we walk in those ways, those appetites may be there, but they won't allure us enough to take us away, right? When we look at our family, and we say, my family is good, and my family is enough. My wife is good. My wife is enough. My house is good. My house is enough. Everything in my life is good and it's enough because if I have it, God has given it to me and it's good and it's enough. It's when we stray from those things and we begin to believe in our mind or we begin to act out that what God has given me is not good and it is not enough that we run the risk of chasing after the things of this world that promise peace, that promise life, but only end in death. So now, 
I want us to understand, too, that as Paul is giving these qualifications for the leaders in the church, even if you're not a leader in a church, you're not immune from this desire of God's uh, in your life. You don't, you, you don't have to sit here and say, you know what, I don't aspire to be a leader, so guess what, I can go love money. I, I'm not aspiring to be a leader, so I can go be an alcoholic. I'm not aspiring to be a leader so I can cheat on my spouse. No, 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 no. All of us in the family of God are called towards holiness. The disposition of our hearts should be in a move towards holiness where every single day we look less and less like our old selves and every single day we look more and more like Jesus. So this is the call of your life too as a follower of Christ. That we are not to be controlled by our appetites. So let me ask you this question. Are you surrendering your appetites to the Lord? Are you daily surrendering your appetites to the Lord? Or in one of these three areas, has, has, has it got you? Have, you? have you gone away from God's design in your life and for your life? And are you chasing after money? Are you chasing after other people? Are you chasing after something that will dull the pain in your life? See, God calls us to follow him in all things and not be led by appetites. Our appetites can be very, very strong. We can desire things that seem good and seem fulfilling, but in reality don't actually bring about the hope and life that God desires. If you're not surrendering the appetites to the Lord today, I encourage you to do so. Come before the Lord and just say, Lord, this is where I'm out of step. God, this is where I'm chasing things that I shouldn't be chasing. Please, God, give me the the power and the ability to turn away. Give me the grace that I need to turn away. So Paul, first of all, breaks it down and says church leaders are to be controlled over their appetites. Second, Paul teaches that church leaders are to have grace in their relationships. We're to have grace in their relationships. Look in uh, 1 Timothy uh, 3, verse 2 and 3. He says elders are to be hospitable. And skipping on down, he says they're to be not violent but gentle and not quarrelsome. And then the charge to deacons is not to be slanderers. Deacons are not to be slanderers. So we break these down and we see what what is the calling that is on the life of the characteristics of a church leader. Is first of all, they're to be hospitable. What, What that means is that they are a lover of strangers. That's what that word means. They're to be a lover of strangers. They're not to live their lives so that they only surround themselves with a specific clique inside the church, but they open their lives to other people. They're constantly welcoming new people in, saying, hey, I want to get to know you. I see that you're far. Why don't you come close? Come be a part of the family. Come be a part of of what God is doing here. They're they're inviters. They're they're natural pullers in, taking people from the fringe and bringing them into the center. Elders are to be hospitable, but also elders are not to be violent, but gentle and not quarrelsome. In in other words, elder pastors are not to be brawlers, right? They're not to be walking through the church looking for a fight. 
They're not to be walking through trying to pick people apart and, and trying to, to take them from where they are and knock them down and say, you know, make them subjective to them. That, that's not what elders and deacons are, or elders and pastors are to be doing. That, that, that's counter characteristic of what elders are supposed to do. Elders and pastors are to be caring for people. And then verse 11, Paul goes on and gives specific call to deacons not to be slanderers. You know, as a deacon and as an elder, there's a lot of access that these leaders have to, to people's lives. They, they have, they're invited into deeper places than maybe some others aren't. And so it's possible for elders and deacons and deaconesses to know stuff about people that the general population doesn't know. And with that comes a lot of responsibility because the idea is to care and the, the idea is to help people be more like Jesus. But there's power in that as well, that we have access to certain things and we can damage the reputation of people just like that. And so Paul says to these deacons, don't be slanderers. Don't say false words behind the back of a person that damages someone's reputation. Be very, very careful. Don't raise questions about people's character behind their back. But instead speak openly and honestly in a heart that cares for people. You know, being in a leadership role where leaders care for the relationship is so very important. I can remember, it was the day right before I was stepping into my first opportunity, to first church that I was pastor, a senior pastor. It was a Sunday night and I get this call, it was about nine o'clock at night. And someone from the church calls me up and is like, pastor, you're not gonna believe, I know you're starting tomorrow morning, but you're not gonna believe what happened tonight at the business meeting. I'm like, what, what happened? It's like, well, there was this group of three ladies that as the, and okay, you, this is like church polity that's West Kentucky policy. There, we had the, the committee on committees was presenting the names of, the, of those that were going to volunteer and volunteer roles for the year. And so they presented this, the, the committee on committees or the nominating committee presented the names for the church, the slate of volunteers that were going to lead the church. And there was a group of ladies inside the church that disagreed deeply about the volunteers, not, on, not about the people, but about the process. And so they stood up in that business meeting and they yelled and they screamed and it was a big old mess. Everyone left that meeting feeling completely distraught, completely disunified and disheartened. So I get a call. And I'm like, hey, just so you know what you're walking into, this is just what happened. So I said, hey, can you call those ladies? I need to meet with them first thing in the morning. So I'm this young pastor walking into this meeting. I really didn't know these ladies yet, and they, they feel like they got called to the principal's office. And so they're nervous, I'm nervous, and I'm like, Lord, please just give me wisdom. So they're sitting down across the table, and I'm like, hey, I'm not here to condemn you. I just want to know what happened last night. Tell me your heart. And so they began to tell me about how uh, they had felt like the process had been unfair, that people had been overlooked and all that. And I said, hey, I hear you. I said, let's work towards making the, this process better because I hear you. But I, then I said, but you also have to understand by the time that, that that sheet of paper, that slate of volunteers comes before the church, when you stand before the congregation and you openly show disunity, that hurts the fellowship of the believers. 
I said, so I encourage you, like moving forward, if you've got problems, let's take care of it before we get to the business meeting. Because everyone's on edge in the business meeting. Nobody likes to, for there to be conflict, right? No one wants there to be open uh, public conflict, but let's take care of your concerns before the business meeting. And they're like, thank you. Thank you for being caring. Thank you for hearing our concerns. And I'm like, was this painful? And they're like, initially it was, but I'm so glad that you took the time to have the conversation. And man, I learned so much from that encounter. And, and I still try to operate in that way as well, being open. Because as leaders in the church, we have to be open to understand that people perceive things, people feel things, and it may be different than the way the leaders feel and perceive things. So we must care for it. And third, well, actually, there's four. So we'll get to three, and then we'll go on to number four. The third is that church leaders have leadership in their homes. Look at verse four. It says, elders, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church or God's church? Then jump on down to verse 12, and we see that for deacons. Let deacons each manage their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So many times we look in the New Testament and we see the, the New Testament likens the church to the home and to the family. So as in the home you are a family and in this place you are a family. So he gives us specific instructions. And here we see that there must be a visible opportunity for faithfulness to be seen in the home before the person is qualified to be caring for the faithfulness of the family of God. So here we see specific instructions. Right in, in the home, there must be this order. There may, must be this, this things that are going on where the father and mother are leading their family well. And this word submissiveness is not complete and absolute obedience. You're not looking for a, a, a person that's a leader that has their kids that are like robots. Right? They're not completely obedient, but you're looking at leaders that are managing their household well by presenting the gospel and communicating the gospel to their kids, helping their kids become owners of their very own faith. Also, while at the same time, understanding that each child is their own person and a child may grow up to reject the faith. That doesn't mean a, a, a leader was unfaithful in their leadership. There are very many prominent pastors today in the world that have children that have walked away from the faith. That doesn't mean they're disqualified from leading. The qualification here is they set the example before their kids. They communicated the gospel. They showed them what grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness look like. Call them to live a life of obedience. Show them the way that they are to live. To look to see if children are acceptance of, acceptance of the parents' leadership. That's really kind of the heart of it. If children are accepting the leaders, the leadership of their parents, then that means they're leading well at home. Leaders that have nothing to do with their kids, they're not leading their kids, don't love their kids, they're disinterested in their kids, those are not leaders that are qualified to lead. 
So we see that both for elders and deacons, that they care well for their home. So, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, what is the state of your home today? Is your, what does your leadership in the home look like? Are, are you leading your family well? Are you displaying before them not a, not a perfect life, but are you displaying before them a walk, a sincere walk with the Lord? Where you're in the Word. Do, you, do your kids see you in the Word? Do your kids see you praying? Do your kids see you walking with the Lord? Because we can't lead in the church. You can't even hope to be a leader in the church unless you're leading in the home first. As you're caring for things, are you managing your finances well? Husbands, are you leading your wives spiritually? Parents, are you disciplining your children with tender love? Are you watching out for their lives, seeing where they have a disposition to whatever their flavor or whatever their temptation to sin is? Are you that involved in their lives where you know where they will be tempted? And are you stepping into those spaces, giving them encouragement? So leaders in the church control their appetites, they have grace in their relationships, they lead their home, and finally we see that they have maturity in their faith. Look with me in verse six. Elders must not be recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fail into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Jump on down to verse 10, talking to deacons. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Now, here's the interesting thing. Is that in order for an elder or deacon to be qualified to serve, they have to have a a proven track record of faithfulness. They, they, you don't want someone that just comes to faith to, to step into a leadership role. Why? Because they may become puffed up. They, they may begin to serve with the wrong motives. They may see this, this position or this office as a place to make themselves greater, to make their name greater. And if they do that, then they've, they've disqualified themselves from the role. For the role is not to raise themselves up, but the role is to raise other people to Jesus. To be an elder, just by its name, gives us the, the sense of someone that has a season of time. Right? Elders have gone through life. They've, they have life experiences where they've had ups and they've had downs and they've had tests of their faith. It's kind of like forging a knife. Right? When you look at an elder, you're looking for someone that's been forged like a knife. Someone that is a, a big chunk of raw steel that gets put into the fire and gets tested and and becomes weak, or not weak, it becomes moldable, and then that that piece of steel comes out and then a hammer comes to it and starts getting beat down on it and it's being molded and shaped by the fire and the flame and it goes back in and then it comes back out and gets beat more and gets beat more and by that beating, by that testing, it becomes stronger and in the end, It becomes something that is strong, that is able to be used. It's a useful tool. 
So that's what you look for in elders. People that have been tested, that have gone through the trials of life. And God has stepped in. And what's great about this list is that I love that it's not based, you don't see things that are based in personality. There's not a personality type that is set for an elder or pastor. No, it's someone that has evidence of a deep walk with the Lord. Someone that is walking in faithfulness, not in perfection, but walking in faithfulness, that loves God's word, that loves God's people, and loves God's church. That's what you're looking for in leaders. You know, there is a distinction that we haven't talked about between that of an elder and deacon. And that's the only distinction of something that is outward. Maybe you saw it on the list. Everything that we see are character traits, but then there's one role or one responsibility, one outpouring of this. And that is elders are called to teach. Right? Elders have to have the ability to teach. Uh, deacons don't. Deacons can teach, right? but they don't have to have the ability to teach. They're, they're called to hold the mysteries of the faith. What that means is they may not fully understand everything about doctrine, about everything, but they at least hold to the mystery. They say, I know this is to be true. I believe this to be true, even though I may not fully, deeply understand it in a way that's able to teach it. Elders, on the other hand, have to go that next layer. Elders are called to teach. Elders are, are given the responsibility of not only holding to the mysteries of the faith, but understanding the mysteries of the faith and being able to communicate the mysteries of the faith. You see, each one of us are on a trajectory towards godliness. I don't know where you're at today in your walk with the Lord, but know that you're on this pathway towards it. And God's desire, desire for each one of our lives is that we grow in godliness. Today, if you're here and you feel and you know because of the conviction of the Lord has been in your heart today, if you know you're out of step with one of, the, one of these ways of living, then I encourage you to not feel condemnation. If you start to feel condemnation, like press that away because condemnation is not from the Lord. Conviction is from the Lord. When the Lord from his word tells us, hey, you're out of step with something, our response should be repentance and confession. Right, Lord, thank you for allowing me to see how my life is out of step. I confess to you that I've been living in this way. I've been running after this appetite or this desire. I've been doing this thing. I confess that to you, and God, by your power, I, I ask you now to help me turn into a different direction. In just a moment, our worship team's gonna come, and we're gonna sing a song together. This song is a song of surrender. And I don't want you to sing these words to the song if it's not coming from your heart. Just sit there in silence. Don't sing, but instead listen to the words and maybe give space for the Holy Spirit to bring you to the point of conviction, bring you to the point of where these words that we're about to sing can be the cry of your heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your words. We thank you for the challenge that we see, not only to those that are in spiritual leadership in the church, but we see the charge that goes out to all of us that are followers of you. I pray, Father, in these next moments, your spirit would continue to move in our hearts, 
Convict us where we need to be convicted and encourage us where we need to be encouraged. Maybe today there's someone here that has just was walking through a season of victory. Father, that's something to rejoice about. Maybe there's someone that's here today that is truly, passionately seeking to follow you. May they today feel encouraged. Give them the strength to keep walking. Father, I pray specifically for for our elders and for our deacons and our deaconesses. Father, we need your grace. Father, we desperately need your grace because we are imperfect. And sometimes, Father, we confess we make imperfect judgments. Sometimes, Father, we get it wrong. And sometimes we just need grace. So, Father, I pray that this church in this place, this would be a place of grace. This would be a place of restoration. This would be a place where we are openly free to pursue you in all godliness. And Father, when we go our own ways, when we step aside, Father, may the desire to be restoration. Father, that's our prayer. Now in these moments, Father, I pray you continue to move in our hearts and help us to respond appropriately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.